You are listening to The Stream UK and Alison and Partners podcast. Welcome back to The Stream UK and Alison and Partners podcast. I'm so pleased you're joining us again for this month's episode. We'll be diving into the world of lead generation or lead gen with two of our agency's experts here in the London office, Gina Mossi and Jess Doherty. Welcome back to the podcast. Now, over the last decade, Allison and Partners have been supporting our clients with a wider range of services. A key component of this is lead generation. We're already helping many of our clients build out their lead gen campaigns. And so for this week's podcast, we wanted to share some of our key insights with you, our listeners. So to get us started, and Jess, turning to you first, tell us briefly what we mean when we talk about lead gen. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. It's a, it's a big question. How does lead generation work? How do I generate leads? These are the sorts of questions that we get all the time. Most companies that we speak to understand that they have a need to generate more leads. But when it comes to implementing specific strategies, they're really unsure about where to begin. Lead generation, to put a sort of definition on the term, is the process of attracting and converting strangers and prospects into someone who has indicated a specific interest in your company's products or services. When we talk about lead generation, there's lots of acronyms that fly around, but there's just two that I want to cover up before we get stuck in. The first one is MQL or a marketing qualified lead. MQLs are prospects that the marketing team deems promising, but who aren't yet ready to buy. They've shown a bit of interest or initiated contact, but there isn't enough data to determine what level of interest they have. These leads nurtured by the marketing team who provide them with relevant information and score the leads based on their responses, actions and behaviours. When those leads are ready to purchase, they'll hit a certain score and become what we call an SQL or a sales qualified lead. SQLs are leads whose interest level has been determined and they're well past the engagement phase. They've been analysed both by the marketing team and by the sales team and they're now ready for the next stage of the process, which is the direct sales push. So hopefully that gives you a bit of an insight into how we define lead generation, what the various steps through the funnel look like, and the terms that we use throughout that process. Thanks, Jess. Now, Gina, I know that we've been busy with uh, lots of lead generation campaigns here at Alison & Partners in the last year. So I guess, can you take us through some of the main trends or changes that we've seen across the last year? Yeah, so I think uh, probably the biggest one I think we've seen is is a real shift in the attitude towards data and analytics. Of course, you know, companies have been measuring their lead generation efforts, but a lot of the time, traditional kind of organizational structures, you know, a lot of companies have made it so a lot of that data is sitting in silos. So you might have some data over here with your email team, your paid media team might have a lot of data sitting over here. Your sales team, of course, have a treasure trove of data, and then you might have even a separate analytics team other than that. So we know that it's a real kind of top priority for CMOs at the moment to really streamline that strategy. And then, of course, the teams and the tools that sit underneath it to be able to tell that data-driven story a lot better and, and be able to make more informed decisions off the back of that. And alongside that, we're also seeing a lot of kind of alignment between sales and marketing of people and of processes and and kind of improving that data sharing through things like CRM systems and and automation as well. I think also on the insight side, there's been a kind of renewed focus on listening to customer behavior through buyer intent data. You know, the best in class brands at the moment are definitely giving rise to a more customer centric approach. The events of 2020 have definitely given the customer voice a lot more agency than, than it's ever had before. And 
that old adage of the customer is always right kind of takes on a whole new meaning in, in 2021, I'd say. And customers really do get to have a much, much stronger voice in, in the brands that they think stand for the same things that they do or don't stand for the same things that they do and who they subsequently choose to do business with. And then as another trend, I'd also say there's been a stronger focus on personalization and account-based marketing, ABM, um, as well on the B2B sides, you know, so really looking at those target accounts that, that companies want to go after and making sure that they're getting their segmentation right when it comes to the campaigns. So looking at doing really kind of tailored content that serves the specific needs of the contacts that are sitting within those certain organizations. And I think it's it's it, we're kind of moving away, away from it being more about the volume of leads, but more about getting the lead scoring, as just mentioned, um, and qualification process right to make sure that the right leads are coming through into the pipeline and then subsequently have a much stronger chance of converting later down the line. And I think with obviously with the sheer volume of content everyone's been being served over the last 12 months, people are really waking up to the fact that it's never been more important to make sure that content is personalized and to plan that content strategy with, with the customer right at the center of every stage of that purchase journey to be able to drive through to, to firstly MQL stage and then on to SQL. I imagine there are lots of decisions to be made too when you're planning out your lead generation strategy or which channels that you're going to use. Obviously, there are lots of different options there. When it comes to those that are becoming more prominent, becoming less prominent over the last year, what have we seen as being the key trends? And I guess this could get very complicated if we take this on a global scale. So if we look just at Europe, what have been the key trends here? So I'd say um, overall, in terms of content marketing, you know, obviously we have seen some online content fatigue, but the brands who have really taken the time to kind of find the insights to inform that the content that they're putting out there have really been successful um, in a lot of ways with this. And in terms of the channels that we've seen rise and, and, and fall a little bit. So definitely we've seen with LinkedIn, you know, with an unpredictable year, we've definitely seen kind of a lot of tentative spends um, for quarters, but then companies definitely ramping up their spends with, with leftover budgets that they have uh, in quarters, leading to um, a, a lot of competition on LinkedIn towards the end of the quarter. And definitely we, we've seen that kind of towards the end of the financial year as well. We've also seen a lot of spending content syndication uh, on the B2B side. So there are a lot of publishers and vendors that can manage, you know, pretty quick turnaround campaigns, which um, can deliver leads meeting specified quality criteria. And as long as you have the right content for this, which is very kind of top of funnel content focused around market challenges, these kind of campaigns can really deliver a good volume of leads. And they can also work with a target account list as well for that more specific approach. It's been quite a tough year for email marketing. So open rates have gone down overall. Again, thinking about that kind of content volume that everyone's uh, had through into their inboxes. But engagement rates have actually gone up for those that have kind of employed clever tactics um, around email marketing. So again, looking at that kind of audience segmentation and, and putting your audience in, into lists and making sure that your content is then targeting the, the right people at the right time. And also those who have put that focus into the quality of that content, you know, those that, that have really tuned into challenges that customers are having at this point and offered exactly what they need at the right time. So unsurprisingly, the, the health and wellness sector has, has done very well at this, but also in, in kind of the education sector and, and the agriculture sector as well, have also seen, you know, big rises in their engagement levels. So it seems like there's really a need to move quickly, make sure you're adapting with the changing landscape they're working in. Certainly plenty of challenges that our clients are facing and, and no wonder that this can often be a very difficult area to navigate. Jess, looking at our clients that we've been working with over the last year, what kind of challenges have they faced 
and how have we helped to overcome them? Yeah, great question. I mean, just to get us started on this topic, delivering an effective lead generation strategy across EMEA is a lot easier than it sounds. There's more than 24 languages spoken across the EU alone. Um, we touched on the complexities of putting together a, a smart localization strategy on the podcast before. And while translation services are useful, they only take you so far, right? You also need to consider cultural nuances and um, permitted variations to the way that we treat data and marketing regulations like GDPR. All of that takes time and skills that most of the internal teams that we speak to just don't have. So getting organized is really, really important, not just in the sense that you need to take a step back, audit your processes and come up with a smart plan, but also in the sense that we know that the most successful teams when it comes to lead generation use some kind of formal system to organize and store leads. This will vary based on the size of the organization or the company that you are working in, but it doesn't need to be all guns blazing right from the beginning. We know that from a study that HubSpot did, 46% of teams use Google Docs to track and formalize that system when they're getting started. And 41% use marketing automation software, things like Marketo, and 37% use CRM software. So there is a real mixed bag out there. But what's the common thread between all of those decisions is that those teams who do use some kind of tool, metric, and plan out a clear strategy see more success when it comes to lead generation than those that kind of freestyle it and don't have a clear strategy implemented and that they check in on in an agile way to, to iterate the channels, for example, the tactics that they implement for success. Now, I know that, at least from my personal experience, I get lots and lots and lots of content sent through to me and it can be quite overwhelming. There's a very high volume and especially as we're spending a lot more time at home, it becomes even more apparent just how much there is to wade through. Obviously, we want to make sure the content we produce is cutting through the noise and making it through to our sales leads. So how do we make that step into cutting through? What kind of content works? How do we create great content? So I feel that my first part of my answer is probably the same as it is to every question, which is insights. It's all about insights. Um, so, you know, really looking at that customer behavior, content performance from previous. And of course, a lot of that data will be quantitative, but always remember that some of that can also be anecdotal, you know, in your conversations with current customers and prospects, what are they asking you about? A lot of the time you will even get a feel for, for the topics you should be talking about from, from that. And also it sounds really, really obvious, but really being aware of where your customer is in their journey for each piece of content. You know, if you are looking at the top of the funnel with people that are maybe not as aware of you, their needs at that point are really content that speaks to, to the challenges that the market is facing and where the market where the market is and where the market needs to go, rather than being focused on you, your brand and your products. At that stage, you know, it really is all about establishing credibility. And in terms of format, you know, I know we've all seen a, a swathe of webinars served to us, but but still over half of marketers are saying that, that it's still the best format at the top of the funnel for, for the highest quality leads, which completely makes sense as obviously if you're sitting down to watch a webinar, you're already quite engaged within that topic and, and really wanting to hear the insights about it. And it's got a, a good chance of, of pushing you further down that funnel. And of course, the, the general rule with content is to hook people into to your topic quickly. So really make sure that you put in the time to make sure that you can develop a unique point of view. While the topic of your content is, will likely not be new, your perspective has to be, you know, you have to be saying something that no one else has quite said in, in such a way yet to be able to, to gain traction. So that's a really key one. 
and then moving through to content in the middle and the bottom of the, the purchase funnel you know definitely have a super clear view on your competitive set and where your offering sits amongst that and where your point of difference is but while that will often include tech and spec make sure that you think about the kind of features of your products and, and look at that in a, in a kind of more emotive way. You know, think what, what is your customer, what challenges are they facing now? What challenges could they be facing, you know, six months, 12 months down the line? And how do your products and solutions, you know, cater to that? Now, it feels weird to think about it as we're all sat at home recording this interview. But before too long, we'll be back to in-person selling. And many events are back in the calendar in the 12 months ahead. So, Jess, I'm sure that many brands won't want to lose all the great experience they've gained during this time in really accelerating their digital strategies and making sure they're making the most of these channels outside of in-person shows. How can they take what they've learned and add it back into the strategies that work so well for them? before the pandemic. Yeah, look, Andrew, I think we agree. We're not going to be racing back to in-person events anytime soon. And while networking events have been seen as a reliable source of new business leads for as long as marketers have been around, the past year has really shown us that this won't always be the case. And making sure that you have a plan B in place that caters to that digital first and remote working audience is absolutely vital. We've seen, and and Gina and I can speak more about some case studies in a second, teams get super creative um, within the constraints of digital only working. They're testing new channels and tactics that they wouldn't otherwise have considered. So I think as we do return to the possibility of in-person activity, what I would say is that we do really need to embrace the human touch. We know the value that that brings. We wrote an IP about it, which you can take a look at. But we also want to continue to invest in building a full picture of who your customer is. So what's driving them to make decisions, what their needs are, um, what their behaviours are, what those key changes in those behaviours mean for you, what opportunities that they bring, and then optimise your strategy with all of that data and those insights that Gina rightly mentions is so important at the centre. And then you want to use automation and personalization as much as you can so that when those events do come up that you have to drive a couple of hours to get to, you've saved all that time and you can invest um, some of your time and energy now into in-person events after having automated and personalized as much as you can uh, with the systems that you've built up over the last 12 months. So fans of the podcast will know that I like to finish by giving some really great examples of this sort of strategy in practice. When it comes to lead generation, Jess, turning to you first, which brands are really getting this right? So I think the common thread uh, between the kinds of organizations and brands that are really getting lead generation right in 2021 is that they are putting their customer right at the center of everything they do. So they're taking the insights that they've learned and they're really iterating in sort of small agile steps to improve the program that they're putting together. I can give sort of one example, which a lot of pan-European accounts will probably have encountered. It's about working smarter, not harder necessarily. So it's important to always be pulling together smart tests for every channel that you implement uh, your content on. Um, We've certainly seen success when it comes to testing local language content versus in-language content at different 
stages of the funnel journey within regions across EMEA. What you need to do there is be driven by what your customer is telling you. So you're always using the insights gathered from across the number of channels that you're using, whether it's LinkedIn, email marketing, etc., to say, yes, people are responding well to English language content in the awareness phase, but we really do need to tighten that down and localize our content and put content in language as we move through the funnel and the topics and information get gets more complex and so the kinds of companies and brands that we've seen work best in this sort of space are those that really let the data guide them they're not making any not taking any sort of preconceptions into uh, the plan that they pulled together and they're regularly taking the chance to step back look at the data and adjust the program as they move forward yeah, and I'd say to to give a kind of a couple of brands that are doing this really, really well, Salesforce have been doing a really great job at the top of the funnel with, with some of their content, like their state of commerce report, right through to more kind of sector specific pieces that they have sort of further down the funnel. And they did a really great series uh, throughout the pandemic called Leading Through Change, which featured a lot of inspirational talent from their customers and their organizations. So really kind of looking at potential customers and prospects were struggling with and what they really needed advice on and it very much you know the the vibe of it is very much kind of promoted a feeling that we're all in this together you know we're all having these challenges here is some ways that people are overcoming them so I think they've been doing a great job there and also a lot of the workplace software and collaboration tools leaders so so brands like Atlassian are really kind of doing a good job at, at practicing what they preach you know their tools help people in exactly these kinds of situations and what they've done a brilliant job of is really moving quickly with the times to make sure that you know the content that they're producing is really actionable gives great advice as well as being really positive and supportive to prospects and customers. Gina, Jess, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. And thank you to you at home for joining us again with The Stream UK. As I'm sure you already know, we're a monthly podcast from Allison and Partners, bringing you the latest on marketing and communications. If you like this episode and want to hear more, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss our latest episode. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And you can always find out more at allisonpr.co.uk forward slash stream. Thanks for stopping by. Mm-hmm.